Today's podcast is brought to you by the 2020 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Register now at AllianceNet.org. Stay tuned after the podcast for more about what may prove to be our most popular conference ever. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. So glad you've joined us today. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined as always. Uh, that was Carl clearing his voice right into the microphone, so oh, thank sorry. you for that, Carl. I'm joined as always by my hosts, the sighing, grunting, sneezing, coughing, throat-clearing Carl Truman, and the one who doesn't do any of those things, Amy Bird. We want to talk a little bit about a really wonderful book uh, from Lex Press. And can I just say, Lex Press has been very generous lately they've sent me a number yeah. of yeah very nice folks at lexham press mm-hmm. they've been sending me some some really good books and uh, i've i know we've uh, appreciated that very much well one of their really excellent books this year in fact it made one of my favorite books of the year list is the care of souls cultivating a pastor's heart the author's name is harold sinkville that's exactly how you pronounce it and there's no question about it uh, but it's a wonderful book care of souls um reverend sinkville is a a Lutheran minister. He's had about 50 years of pastoral ministry. And so this book comes out of a lot of labor, a lot of time, and a lot of uh, experience, both as a minister and as a teacher of ministers. If you haven't read the book, uh, I recommend it for for ministers and for elders. It does come in some ways uh, with a Lutheran voice to it. I mean, there's a Lutheran perspective. He he tries to, and I think he he, he does a good job of of making it very accessible to any who are in the Reformed tradition will understand some of his categories and and benefit very much, obviously, because he's uh, Lutheran. Um, there's a high view of the sacraments, which uh, Presbyterians are going to uh, to appreciate as well. Um, but there is a, a wonderful warmth and deep pastoral insights uh, throughout the book that anyone in pastoral ministry would benefit from a great deal. And uh, obviously, we're not going to be able to give an adequate summary of the whole book. There are a few things I want to be sure that we touch on, as I am sure Carl and Amy feel the same way. But I, I did want to um, probably jump in a little bit on um, some of his introductory thoughts um, about pastoral ministry and what he refers to kind of as a kind of as the classical model, I suppose, over against a lot of contemporary revisionings of of pastoral ministry. When I was coming up brand new in youth ministry in the late eighties and early nineties, man, the church growth model was going huge. The influence of Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and John Maxwell uh, were massive. I mean, you know, I went to all those conferences as, as a young youth pastor. And one of the things I heard a lot was that pastors have to get over the whole idea that we are shepherds, that that is an outmoded metaphor. Andy Stanley uh, has said it's an outmoded metaphor that we need to get rid of. 
Um, and I was taught that in some of these mega conferences. Um, well, Syncbill really puts the challenge to that and I think helps demonstrate well that the biblical use of shepherd as a model for understanding pastoral ministry isn't just a metaphor that was uh, appropriate at one time in, in a bygone era, but it's a model that is to inform all generations of pastors to bless the church throughout its life. Um, any thoughts on, on that, Carl or Amy? Well, I think the, the idea that the notion of shepherd is outmoded, that takes you to the heart, really, of a, a very problematic vision of not just ministry, but I think of Christianity as a whole, because mm. it's not that that uh, image is used arbitrarily mm-hmm. or merely culturally in the New Testament. It's linked to the idea of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. Uh, uh, it may not be... It, it may not have been the immediate metaphor that might be used were Jesus around in North America in the 21st century because sheep are not a big part of the American economy. Where I grew mm-hmm. up, more sheep than people. Right. But it remains the case that the, the whole idea of shepherd has deep biblical theological roots, mm-hmm. expresses a particular idea. And pastors are directly connected to the great shepherd. They are the under-shepherds of the great shepherd. So when somebody says... Well, you know, shepherd is passe or outmoded. They're at best making an ignorant comment, at worst making, I think, a highly dangerous comment relative to, to biblical authority. And one of the things that sink bell, sink bell. It's sink bell. Sink bell. <laughs> one of the things that I've, past- I've, sp- I've spoken definitively on that. Okay. Well, one of the things that Pastor Harold makes very, very clear in this book uh, is that the ministry is Christocentric, that Jesus is both the... Uh, the origin, the motivation, and the content of, of pastoral ministry. And so shepherd really must be a controlling motif, I think, in, yeah. in how we think yeah. about ministry. Mm-hmm. Amy, well, as I'm, I'm sorry, I, Amy, I was going to ask you a direct question about this. Well, I from, want to answer your the perspective. first question. So, yeah. Okay, hey, go for I, it. I answered the first question quite adequately. <laughs> Do not imply that I didn't give an adequate answer. <laughs> no, see, that's well, where the woman's voice comes in. The, the feminine voice. The yeah, yeah. Shepherdess. Well, well, Amy, I was a shepherdess's voice. Yeah. Okay, so along with that, I think that he has updated the term, even in the title itself, mm-hmm. to, um, to give us a, a more updated um, description of what a shepherd does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what a pastor does, right. and that is to care for souls, and that's right. what we truly, desperately need. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's <laughs> what I was going to ask you, Amy. You know, you as a layperson have a perspective on this that I would say every, every lay person is really important in this discussion because so much of the, of the reordering of pastoral ministry that took place through the church growth movement mm-hmm. and shaped a whole generation of young ministers has had and continues to have a direct impact on, on the laity, uh, the flock of God. And I think all too often that redefinition of the work has been negative um, is my suspicion. And that's where we need layperson's voices in this conversation to kind of well, give us a if, verdict. If that's in the church, you know, the one place where we can get care of souls. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we can get CEOs right. in the world and counselors, mm-hmm. um, evangelists are sent out to the world. Even mm-hmm. um, we, we've got plenty of team captains and motivational speakers right. and all those things. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I thought I found that to be a real... Um, kind of exhortation 
for pastors too, because like when you think of all these other ways that a pastor has been defined, Mm -hmm. then he really has to focus on people pleasing and number growing. And I just loved the exhortation, like much later in the book, I'm turning um, to 117. Mm -hmm. He also describes um, the pastor and he's kind of talking about this danger of people pleasing. And he says, um, you are not the groom, but the best man. And he's talking about Gregory the Great reminding pastors of this very long ago, saying, that man is an enemy to his Redeemer who, on the strength of the good works he performs, desires to be loved by the church rather than by him, God. Indeed, a servant is guilty of adulterous thought if he craves to please the eyes of the bride when the bridegroom sends gifts to her by him. Yeah. I just thought that was such a powerful exhortation because Mm -hmm. that's got to be a huge temptation for pastors. Definitely. Definitely, because like it or not, pastors do need to be at least in relatively good favor with their church if they're going to have an effective ministry. Right, right. But, but the dark side of that is that it can very easily shift into then, what do I need to do to make sure they always think highly of me? Always, You want to have a good reputation, but, mm-hmm. but the line in crossing over into people-pleasing is, is always there. The danger is always there so that you end up not saying the things you need to say, you end up forsaking a ministry that, that their souls really need, that some people don't always know that they need. Yeah. You know, we have a generation of pastors that decided to treat the church like a body of consumers. Right. And a lot of people want to be treated that way. A lot of people well, don't. Well, and you're, people do. you're also focusing on what you have to give the whole time mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. the gifts that Christ gave you right. to minister to yep. his bride with. And this is where the Reformed uh, you know, historically, the Reformed and Lutheran understanding of pastoral ministry and the ordinary means of grace mm-hmm. and, and the sacraments is so important and yeah. so radically different from what we learned in the church growth movement. Right. Yeah. I was very struck by a passage on page 17. He's talking, he's kind of hinting at contextualization here. He says, the challenge for pastors <laughs> in every generation is to link the personal work of Jesus to every shifting era by means of his right. unchanging word, not to contextualize the message, but mm-hmm. to textualize the people into the text of scripture, you could say. I underline that line too. That is that's, so good. I think that's a great line, and that captures, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, contextualization was, was the big thing. Right. Uh, I think most pastors did contextualization instinctively. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a, an intelligent and thoughtful human being, for example, you're going to preach in English to a congregation right. that only speaks English. <laughs> but it became a, an overwhelming emphasis mm-hmm. such that the particularities of the context sometimes threaten to overwhelm the, the emphases of the gospel. Right. And you've alluded in the past, Todd, to you know, pastors in certain cities in the U.S. who would never speak on abortion, even right. when it popped up in the text, because it would offend members of their mm-hmm. congregation. And those pastors are easy to pick on because they're the sure. big guys, the obvious guys. But I'm sure that's a temptation for every pastor in every mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, there are certain things yeah. that if you mention them, yeah, you're going to get that line of people to see you at the end of the service, or you're going to get blitzed with emails on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's a good reminder there, I think, from Sync Bell. Sync Bell? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, Pastor Harold, that yeah. uh, really scripture is to be the driving factor. And it's mm-hmm. not that difficult. Right. It's a moral issue if you're not. Mm-hmm following it more than it is an intellectual yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, and that's where the true blessing of Christ is and the power. Right. 
through the spirit in his word. Right. So I really liked how that was just such a huge theme throughout mm-hmm. the entire book. Well, one of the things I liked about the book, and I, I, I read it very, very fast, so mm-hmm. I didn't pick up all of the detail, but I like the emphasis on habit. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That this was not a book of techniques. It was really right. a book, we might say, about character formation. Disposition, character yeah, formation. The idea yeah. was, you know, you build your character over time, yes. and that gives you, for want of a better word, good instincts. Right. Uh, yeah, on the pastoral mm-hmm. front. What did you think yeah. about that? Todd, you've been a pastor for many years now. Yeah. I thought it was really helpful because, again, my earliest years of ministry were all technique-driven. This was the focus of, of so much of the ministry training and the church talk back in the, the late 80s and, and in the 90s. It was the uh, church growth movement and its gurus and its top pastors. It, it, was, it was technique. It was leadership skills. And, and you'd go to these conferences and you'd feel like if a Fortune 500 company wouldn't hire you as, your, as their CEO, you wouldn't be a good pastor. I mean, that really is the impression you got. And today, there's still some of that. It might look a little bit different, but you know, today it's now, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're not qualified to give a, a TED talk, you can't be a pastor. Um, or if your sermons don't sound like a TED talk, you're not preaching a good sermon. You know, so we still have some of the same kind of culturally influenced um, ways to understand uh, ministry, but I love his his emphasis on habitus. It's this mm-hmm. it's this character formation. It's this disposition um, that then informs and helps guide the way you do ministry over against you know technique. And Amy, you've mentioned that Christ has given us the means by which we bring His presence and His power to His people. Well, mm-hmm. I never learned those categories early on in ministry. I think a lot of folks from from the the milieu that I came out of would hear that and think Roman Catholic, you know, not understanding that this is mm-hmm. the rich Protestant tradition that Christ ministers to his people through his word and sacrament. Um, and it's interesting. I just, I just this minute looked up on Wikipedia, the source mm-hmm. of all world knowledge, Missouri yes. Synod Lutheranism, just under 2 million members in the Missouri Synod Lutherans. Now the PCA at uh, 300,000 is 10 yeah. times the size of the OPC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the PCA makes a lot of noise about right. transforming the culture, blah, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Missouri St. Lutherans, there's 2 million of them. Right. And a point that Daryl Hart's made on numerous occasions is you never hear about them. <laughs> Why don't you ever hear about them? Well, they're off being pastors. <laughs> right, right. They're off doing their thing. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to take over Congress for Christ or right. you know, transform the universe. Mm-hmm. They're doing their thing. And there right. are 2 million of them. Two right. million. That's a lot of people. And I think the, the, the message there, too, connected to it, and, and he kind of gets into detail about it when he's talking about uh, virtue, it's not a human achievement. And mm-hmm. so many of our books and our conferences are do better, do better, do better. Mm-hmm. But this is really, and he, you know, he calls it baptized believers, um, mm-hmm. that you know, we are dying to sin every single day mm-hmm. and then living uh, in our baptism, like by faith. Yeah in Christ. So mm-hmm. it's Christ's virtue given right. to us. And then he sanctifies us in that way. It's extremely exciting actually for me to hear, but yeah, um, it, it, you know, it because should, it's, it should it's be. both yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not me, but I am holding to this and, and he's mm-hmm. changing me through it. And it, it, there is obedience there. It is worth mentioning though, for all we've said about the, the constants of the ministry, this is not a book that is, is ignorant that sin manifests itself in different ways at different no. points in time. Yeah, it's very, very interesting, very helpful section yeah. on internet pornography, for example. Right. 
you would not mm-hmm. obviously not have found in a pastoral manual 20, 30 right. years ago. Right. Uh, so it's not that uh, that he's, he's pretty frank there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's clearly aware that I, I suppose one might say contextualization for well, him kicks in in understanding. Right the particular forms of sin as they occur right. in society, to which the answer is always the same. Right. It's always yeah. the gospel of the Lord Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, that's my kind of contextualization. And, yeah. and, and if, if I could be so bold, I think that's the Bible's kind of contextualization. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 1. Mm-hmm. You know, the, your context determines why you reject the cross, but right. you do reject the cross. Right. If you're right. Jewish, it's, an, uh, it's a moral offense. If you're a Greek, it's foolishness. Mm-hmm. You reject it for different reasons, but you still reject the cross. Right. I'm being sharpened as I'm reading from a Lutheran. And sure. so one area where it really comes out over and over again, yeah. he really speaks of the pastor one-on-one individually absolving sin. Yeah, that's where you'll see his Lutheranism come in and, and where there's a different approach, a different theology on a couple of these things. Um, than, than the reform tradition would have. Certainly in our, in our corporate worship services, I hope if you're attending a Presbyterian church, there's a confession of sin and an assurance of pardon every, every Sunday. I sure hope there is. And, and the way we would talk about that is going to be a little bit different than the way our Lutheran brothers talk about that. But again, as I'm reading him, I understand that and still yeah, me too. And like, I, it made me, it pressed me a little because, you know, as I'm thinking through our differences there and, and the, I do think that it's easy for us to take it for granted. Since mm-hmm. it's a, you know, once a, a week, you know, we have that mm-hmm. in our liturgy. And I know I take that very seriously, but there are also other times where, where I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, because, you know, confession is a role here too, personal mm-hmm. confession to the pastor mm-hmm. um, that he talks about. And, you know, we have that moment where we're pressed in, in the liturgy of our service to mm-hmm. personally pray in between right. the confession of sin and, and absolution. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do we get detailed like this? Right. You know, like I, found, I found a little bit, you know, of a, um, a sharpening and a challenge for me. Like, okay, this isn't quite our theology of how this happens, but, mm-hmm. you know, I can come right before the Lord right. um, throughout the week in my prayers. Mm-hmm. But am I doing that well? Am I confessing mm-hmm. specifically? Am I taking for granted this voice that right. I hear on Sunday that I'm absolved of my sins mm-hmm. and, and not daily coming before the Lord with that? Right. And and the thing that, that I thought long and hard about as I was reading through that section was, um, you know, growing up, I never had that in worship services. I never had a category for that. And, mm-hmm. and I think we impoverish our people because, again, what we're saying here is that when, when, we, when a minister stands up and he reads from Scripture, God's own words of the forgiveness of the sins of God's people, something's happening there yeah you know they are in faith receiving and and having applied to their hearts again in fresh ways the pardon that is theirs in christ um that there's power to that 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 christ comes to us through the means of his word he really does And, and i think about the preaching in in today's churches people that i know and have known for for, for a long time, sit under preaching that is driven by summer blockbusters and these, these little four and five week topical series on, on you know, the summer blockbusters or, or, or the latest thing that, that happened in the culture. And, and what they're really not getting is the word of Christ. They're getting some 
oh, some funny thoughts and anecdotes and, and illustrations from, from current movies or current events with a few verses maybe thrown in to give it a religious flair. And what's happening at that point is that the minister is not doing the one thing he's charged to do above all else, which is to bring the living word of God to bear on the lives of God's people. And in doing so, he's bringing them Christ. Well, and that I think is where good Lutherans rarely go wrong, precisely because the, the law gospel yeah. contrast, dialectic, however you want to characterize mm-hmm. it, really does make it very clear that, that the problem of humanity is sin. It isn't unhappiness, lack of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things are significant to human beings. We all like to be happy. We like to be fulfilled, et cetera, right. et cetera. But the primary task of the church is to identify the problem as sin and rebellion and to offer right. Christ as the means of, of overcoming it. And right. Lutheranism is beautifully set up, I think, to, to make sure that the main thing remains the main mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there aren't bad Lutheran churches out there, I'm sure. Right. And we know mm-hmm. that the, the history of Lutheranism as a broad phenomenon is, is like the history of Presbyterianism as a sure. broad phenomenon. They have their PCUSA mm-hmm. equivalents in, in the broad Lutheran tradition. But if you hold fast to the confessional standards, then the main thing has to remain the main thing in the Lutheran church. I, you know, it also really challenged me, though, you know, when I'm having my daily prayer and I'm confessing my sin to God or when I'm doing it during the, the covenant worship service, corporate service, I'm still not saying it out loud, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's something, too, you know, when I'm reading this, mm-hmm. how they're confessing to him. And I just thought, you know, even as lay people, <laughs> do we do that ever? Well, it's interesting. The actual the history of confession within Lutheran churches is instructive because Luther always engaged from, from his pre-Reformation right the way through his Reformation period, always engaged in private confession. But he, he signally, and there was, a, there was a controversy about this, he signally refused to make it a requirement for the church because mm-hmm. he thought that, right. that would be making it a legalism. Mm-hmm. So I think the answer to, to that would be, I, I don't want to sound pragmatic and say if it works for you, do it, but <laughs> th- there may be occasions when that's appropriate. Particular yeah. sins should be confessed particularly, and if they impact particular people, I think they should be confessed to, to those particular people. Yes. But we shouldn't make a, a, legal, a, a legalism of it. I agree. Yeah, definitely agree. not. Mm-hmm. But it, yep. it pressed me a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one other area that was I was going to say, I wouldn't have time. There aren't enough hours in the day to listen to all of Amy's particular <laughs> sins. Oh, can you imagine? We have to, we have, to have some sympathy Ooh. for poor old Francis. He wouldn't yes. have time to do anything else. No. <laughs> <laughs> Francis, if you're listening, we're trying to help you here, man. I wasn't even talking about in the in that Lutheran sense of you know, or even Roman Catholic sense of confessing to your pastor, mm-hmm. but um, you know, just a lay people uh, ministry to one another and speaking God's word mm-hmm. to one another. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the that's that helpful distinction, you know, Carl, that you brought up about you know, even Luther not wanting to make it a, a, a law. I, I think I think I think the reformed tradition has it better if if we actually practice it you know if it's practiced well i think what we see sometimes for instance in the pca and this is just my experience is that the pca has so many ministers and uh, members of our churches who are like me they come out of a tradition where we were not raised we never saw it growing up and so we've had to learn it either in seminary or in another church setting or 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 that kind of thing. And, and, I, and what I notice sometimes is even among some of my fellow PCA folks is we don't even have a fully Presbyterian idea of the sacraments of, of prayer, confession of sin, assurance of pardon, is that I, I think a lot of my fellow 
I shouldn't say a lot. Confession of sin is a sacrament, man. I think. Did I, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I'm not. You just stepped outside of the bounds there, Stop buddy. I, I'm, I'm reaching for my book of church order to see let, if I can. Let Carl, I can let Carl get it out of his system. I don't think I said confession of sin. Prayers a sacrament. Confessions a we'll sacrament. We'll have to rewind the tape. I said. I said confession of sin and the sacraments. Okay. I was tuning him okay. out. I can't okay. remember. Okay. I know that confession <laughs> is not a sacrament. Uh, getting in touch with you. In okay. A- but I'll let you do your thing. Okay. We'll get, it, get it out of your system. <laughs> let it flow. Um, no, what, but um, the point I was making is that I, I think there's a lot of Presbyterian ministers who aren't yet fully Presbyterian in their appreciation for the sacraments in their appreciation for things like um, a, a confession of sin and, a, and an assurance of pardon in our, in our worship services. And how about the benediction? That's an, I think, you know, as we're closing up, um, you know, he, and this is another thing he kind of does individually too, is bestowing blessings on people. But, um, you know, of course that made me think about one, I was pushed a little bit there of just, again, I think just every, every member word ministry type of thing where mm-hmm. it truly is a blessing to share Christ's promises from his word mm-hmm. and speak that into people's pain right. and suffering right. and, mm-hmm. and all of that. I mean, I know that's such a great, you know, just way for anybody, uh, yeah. to be helpful. But then also the actual benediction that we get at the end of our service. And I've noticed in visiting other services, you know, sometimes there's just not even a benediction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes right. it'll say benediction in the, um, in the mm-hmm. handout. And then it, it, there isn't a benediction. Right. Right. And then here's my question for you guys. Yeah. It's a deep theological question. When you give the benediction, do you prefer people to be like looking up at you or having their head down and their eyes closed? Mm-hmm. I sometimes say, look up and receive mm-hmm. the blessing of the Lord. Yeah. I will sometimes say, look up, but I really don't have to with our church. Um, the, the man who was the, uh, the interim for two years at the church before I came really taught them that. And, and, nice. and even many of them you know, uh, will, will extend their hands. He kind of said, hey, listen, if you're comfortable doing that as a sign of you know, you're, you're receiving something real right now. And so I love that, that my church has a reflex to do that, that when I'm a looker upper, but there's a lot of looker downers. And so, yeah, yeah, because, and and one of the things again, (laughs) you want to help people understand is this isn't your private devotional experience right now. This is a blessing upon you. We're receiving this together. Like I'm looking around, I'm looking at, Lift up your eyes. I've seen Todd give the blessing and the glory is so intense that you have to look down. It's kind of (laughs) blinding. It's It's, blinding. It's it's remarkable. It's remarkable. I I would say one more thing, and and then Amy, you can kind of get us home after this, is is, um, I I was reminded again, I mean, one of the things that was so helpful to me about this book is just being encouraged once again as you've kind of helped us think through about the benediction is, is how Christ comes to us in his word. Um, you know, God's presence and his power is in his word. And, and I remember serving as a pastor on a, on the staff of a large church. And um, one of the other pastors on staff, when, when he would preach a funeral, he would open with a quote from Woody Allen. And I, I thought it was a one-off until I sat through two funerals with him and not a scripture, not a call to worship, nothing. He would open up with this funny story about Woody Allen and then a quote um, about death from Woody Allen. And I remember sitting there twice being heartbroken for the family who should have heard as the first words in that funeral service, uh, the words of God from from his word. And, And so again, you know, like for instance, in funerals, the very first thing that's said from the front is scripture in part in compassion for the family. We want them to hear God's word. We want them to know God's presence in this time.
And, and that's a privilege. If you're a minister out there, the great privilege you have is to be a steward of the mysteries of God, a steward of God's word. Well, in wrapping up, I just want to highly recommend this book. And, you know, obviously this is written mainly for pastors and you know, I'm reading as a layperson. But one thing that just really stuck out to me reading it as a layperson is how targeted the pastor is in, uh, I feel like I'm reading somebody else's letter Hmm. almost. And um, as he's helping pastors um, in their great vocation to care for souls, I really feel like that's what he's doing for the pastors Mm -hmm. reading the book. Um, He's caring for their soul very personally Mm -hmm. and um, giving them God's word (laughs) throughout the whole book to minister to them, but also just very practical um, wisdom and, and how they can improve and and grow. And, you know, and I, and he, he begins the book saying that the best pastors among us are the ones who realize how little they actually know and how much more they have to master concerning the art of the care of souls. That's kind of comforting too, because that humility rings through the whole book. So Thanks for listening to our very quick book review of Pastor Harold Sinkville. Uh-huh. That's it. <laughs> and we would love uh, for you to register to win a copy over at our website. If you go over to mortificationofspend.org, you can register to be one of the lucky ones who may get a free copy. And uh, while you're there, you're going to see articles written by uh, me and Todd. Carl, you writing any of these days? Uh, I, I try. It's <laughs> <laughs> been well, about nine months. We'll hold some fire to Carl and get him yeah, to start writing. I, I need some to too. come back. Yeah. Yeah. I could, just, I could just provide a link to the stuff he writes for first things. <laughs> Well, let's direct people to our website, Todd. (laughs) We give away free books. Yeah. So go on over there. We also have a donation button if you're so inclined to help uh, donate to our podcast, Mortification of Spin or the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And you can also go check out, you can subscribe over at iTunes or all the other great podcast apps that there are and leave a review about how great this podcast is how much you like amy the female voice the most oh yes the feminine voice (laughs) so thanks for listening and we look forward to talking to you next week Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
there are places when you have women speaking in scripture and uh, keep in mind that they're women and there might be something unique about that. Jezebel, um, but Jezebel makes yeah. some good speeches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, but that's an entire, that's an entirely different. Potiphar's wife. I remember Potiphar's <laughs> wife. That's one of the female voices in scripture. Oh, trust. Hey, listen, trust me. I'm going to have plenty of negative things to say about you, Amy. That's coming. And I just, you mean going oh. to, you always have. <laughs> Not always, just recently. Uh, well, even when you compliment me, then you have to backhand it with like, you're like a man. Well, I mean, come on. I've got to find my masculine voice. Uh-huh. I mean, what am I going to do without my masculine voice? Amy? I don't know. For the first time, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology will focus on a single book of the Bible. Plan now to join Philip Ryken, Derek Thomas, Joel Beakey, and others for Revelation, the Sovereign Reign of the Exalted Christ, March 13th through the 15th in Grand Rapids, and April 24th through the 26th in Philadelphia. This long-awaited conference may prove to be the most popular to date. Register now. Select events at AllianceNet.org to sign up online or call 1-800-488-1888.